From Edge Radio 99.3 FM, this is an edit of The Dice Men Cometh, the podcast. The Dice Men Cometh! Well, oh welly, well, 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 you are here with The Dice Men Cometh, which for those of you playing at home, we are Australia's number one radio show, podcast, all about board games, all about card games, all about dice games, all about games that you play around tables with your friends, with your enemies, with your family, with your loved ones, with anyone, let's say, who will bother to sit down at a table with you. And tonight on episode 269, it's just myself, Garth, and old man Mark. Hello. Oh, I forgot to... <laughs> Forgot to turn my own microphone on. That's what's going on. I've got a lot to say, Garth. Yeah. I'm going to say it. E- e- eventually. Who's number two? That's what I want to know. Well, number three is not here, which is Leon, because he has the absolute pleasure of working night shift from 6.30pm to 6.30am, and we are not at all endorsing that anyone else does that, but that's how he earns his living. <sighs> so, look, we talked about this show... And then we talked some more and we prepared and we did everything that we wanted to talk about and then we decided we don't have time for an intro because we've got so much content to get through tonight. So tonight's show, we're going to start with regular, what we've been playing this week, which it's already a lie because we haven't played it this week, but we've played it recently. Soon, soonish. We are then going to go into, for those of you who have watched Simpsons, (laughs) old man yelling at cloud territory... (laughs) Because Mark has a few things he wants to yeah, say. Yeah, I do. I've got some things I want to get off my chest. Which is good, because almost recently, the most thing that Mark's been getting off his chest has been phlegm and coughing <laughs> up. And <laughs> <laughs> So, look, without further ado, we better just throw to a song, then we'll come back, I'll tell you all about the game that we've been playing lately, and then you'll just have to listen to a cranky old man being cranky for the rest of the episode. And that's how episode 269 is going to go. Doesn't that sound exciting, Mark? It does. So without further ado, again, where the Dice Men Cometh, it's Edge Radio 99.3 FM, and here is your song, hopefully. Hi, this is Ella from Ella Loves Board Games, and my favourite podcast is the Dice Men Cometh. Well, thank you so much, Rosie Tucker, for taking us to your very sublime gay bar which was the name of that track, by the way, here on Edge Radio 99.3 FM with the Dice Men Cometh and their episode 269. That is a lot of waffling on about board games and card games and other stuff. Sure is. five and a half years. That's because we've got a lot to say, Mark. We do, and Garth, I'm guessing that right now you're going to have a lot to say about a game what we've been playing a little while back? Correct. I do, actually, as yeah. it happens, which is awfully fortunate because otherwise this segment would be a lot of dead air. <laughs> so we played this game back at uh, BorderCon. We are allowed to say BorderCon. We're within the uh, amnesty period, I guess, I for us BorderCon. before it becomes BorderCon. Yeah. And for those of you who haven't been to BorderCon and don't know what it is, it is four days of amazing board gaming at the border between New South Wales and Victoria mm-hmm. where us and about 200-odd of our favouritest people in board gaming get together. We don't sleep. Not much. We play games. Except Leon did sleep well, quite, yeah, quite a bit this year. There is that infamous Sunday, which was your infamous day last year, so uh, hopefully the trend doesn't continue. But <laughs> one of the games that we did play, on the- and in fact, was... The last real yeah. game that, yeah. that you and I played, and it was on the Monday, mm. before we then played some little quick dicey game and jumped in the car, said our farewells, and just get daddled down to Melbourne. Mm. We, uh, we had this one. We set it up at 10.30, 10 o'clock in the morning and uh, sat down. And the way I'm going to introduce this is by way of advertorial. Have you ever felt stupid? All the time. Have you ever felt like you just don't know enough? But you want to. Yes. Have you thought that maybe travel can open up your mind to everything that is great in this particular world? It absolutely does. And if it doesn't, how about passing on those life lessons that you have to your students? I've been trying to do that to you, Garth. You may be able to take their own independent path in search for knowledge. Or are you a capitalist? Do you want nothing but cold hard cash? Yeah. Well, why don't you try... Making money. 
And some of those things, <laughs> as well as numerous other options, are going to be, be available to you when you sit down at the table and play Newton. Mm. So there's my advertorial. Did I sell it to you? Yeah, no. No? All right, well, let's try traditional methods. Newton is a board game designed by Simone Luciani and Nestor Mangione. See? Two Italian powerhouses of, uh, of game design. Simone is probably the more well-known out of those two because he has also designed Zolkin, Ooh. the Mayan calendar, yeah. The Voyages of Marco Polo, Ooh. Grand Austria Hotel, Ooh. Lorenzo il Ooh. Magnifico, and a few others as yeah. well. Yeah. Obviously, been there's been a bit of assistance with Danielle Tascini Tus- uh, in a couple of those games, but there is also a damn well-regarded artist in this one with Clemens Franz, who was an Austrian designer, because let me rattle off some games that he has had the flying privilege of arting. Caverna, Agricola, Orléans, Le Havre, Clans of Caledonia, Patchwork, Mombasa, Grand Austria Hotel, Aura at Labora, and that's as far as I'm going to go. Wow. Because otherwise, that would be the whole show. That's like, what, 10 board games all ranked under 100 on Board Game Geek. It's pretty spectacular. Wow. But I may have discovered his kryptonite in this game. He's a fan of brown. <laughs> But we'll get to that. He is a Euro game artist after all. So, look, Newton is set around the middle of the 17th century when all of these great minds rose to prominence. So we're talking about Galileo, Copernicus, Kepler, Bacon, Sir Isaac Newton. All of these people really had a lot of influence in the world. Did you say Galileo? Galileo. 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 So you will take the role of an up-and-coming scientist who is wanting to become one of those legends of scientific endeavour. You're wanting to become smarter than everyone else, Mm. better at all those kinds of things that scientists, people do, and become the biggest brained in all of, I guess, Western Europe as far as the board dictates. that, That was the world at the time, wasn't it, really? Well, a lot of people in the other parts of the world would disagree, but as far as they knew, yeah, yeah, maybe. That's right. So, look, this game is played out over six rounds. In each round, every player is going to get five actions to do, and it is brown. There is a board that is not at all, as far as I can remember, double-sided. Nope. But half of the board is the map of Western Europe, which is where you'll be travelling around and visiting cities and going along ferries and paying money to get to places. Then you've got the other half of the board, which is the technology track, which is where you'll be training your students mm-hmm. and encouraging them to pursue particular endeavours by taking a particular branch on the technology track and hopefully becoming really learned in a thing. And then you've also got the money-gaining track, which is as simple as it sounds. You Patr- go up that track. It was track. about patronage, I think, wasn't it, where you are you're basically... Because as a scientist, you don't really have a way to earn money as such because ideas, you can't sell them. Not like you can now when you've got something like Kickstarter. Correct. And look, the specific name for the track you're talking about is creatively titled Work. <laughs> it's the work track. Radio. So, look, everyone's going to be sitting down at the table, and by everyone, of course, I mean one to four players. Uh, this game says it plays in about 90 minutes. We were certainly a little bit longer than that, but it's a learning game. You pay the dice man tax when you sit down at the table with us. And uh, it would be remiss of us not to point out mm. that this game was lovingly taught to us by our very good friend and very excellent gamer par excellence or excellence, um, Renee. Yes. And... We also played with our good friend Charles, LFG Charles, that is. Exactly. Uh, who was a major sponsor at BorderCon, but took time out of his busy major sponsoring time to sit down and play this game with us on the Monday morning. Correct. So needless to say, you and I were sat with a couple of geniuses yes, anyway. that's right. Just to, give, to paint the picture of what we were up against. Correct. So the way it's going to work, everyone's going to have their own individual little player board and you're all going to start with almost the same small deck of cards. Mm. Now, these cards will have two abilities. One will be a top ability, which might be a little bit special, but more than likely you're going to be using the bottom ability. <laughs> uh, and you'll get to do that five times each round. 
You'll be playing them to your little individual player board. They'll do the thing. They become a little bit more powerful because every time you play a card, you get to do the action that is a symbol on the card, but you also get to do the action for any other cards that are already on your play board with the same symbol. Mm. What are those actions, Mark? There's some cumulative effects. Correct. So those actions, as you so expertly uh, identified before, the first one, and we're not playing favourites, this is just one of the actions, is work, mm. where you can take one of your little coloured cubes and do a work thing which allows you to go up the track and get dollary doos. Work, 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 Or work. European dollary doos, as yeah. they say in uh, ye olde Europe. Essentially, that's all that track is useful for. You get money until you reach a certain point yeah. where you'll start to unlock a couple of benefits, which won't make sense until we get to the rest of the game. Uh, the other part of this that you could choose to do is the technology track, which is identified by a cog, where you can move one of your students on the technology half of the board. Now, students will all start at the, I guess, the... The base trunk, of the tree, yeah. base of the tree, uh, and then you will get to decide in a branching fashion which way you want your student to specialise. Everyone will only start with one particular student, but you can have the ability to unlock up to... Four, I think it yeah, was. You could get up to four a lot. students, but you don't want to leave it to chance hey, with that technology tree. That's pretty bad. Uh, so you might want to do that because that'll give you points. Or you could travel around the other half of the mm. board, which is going to all these various different locations within Europe, and you'll go to those cities like Vienna or Paris or Barcelona or London or whatever the case may be mm -hmm. because you need to go there to do certain things. Travelling is important. Or you might want to take lessons. Now, lessons sounds exciting, but really all it's doing is that you're taking an extra card from one of the three rows of face-up cards and adding it to your potential list of cards of things that you can use for actions further on down the track. Mm. It's got a graduation cap as the symbol, and as I said, there are three rows. So one row is graduation cap number one. So if you've got one graduation cap, you can access those cards. Yep. The next one is you have to have at least two caps, and then the last one is three. So, so they become all, more powerful. It's almost a mild deck-building mechanic, except it's not a deck, it's your hand. It's so more I guess hand you're, management. You're growing your hand, even though you're only going to have the ability to play the same number of cards in each turn, Correct. as you'll explain there are other uses. Exactly right. So you might want to take those cards to make uh, you know your hand a little bit more powerful. Then you've got the study mm. or the bookie book, mm. <laughs> which is really useful because it allows you to do certain things with your your books, and that is really important when it comes to your individual player. It's aid. really important how you lay out your bookshelf, as we as gamers know. You got to stack those games in the right way up and next to the other games by that same designer. And is it and alphabetical yeah. or is it by colour yeah. or is it by box Dewey size? Decimal. Oh, it's just It's just a minefield. So anyway, needless to say, books are very important and mm -hmm. potentially can score you lots of points. Then you've got a joker. And a joker just can be anything because a joker don't care about anyone particular. He yeah. will just copy something else that you've done. And kids, in case you missed it, Garth just told you a life lesson Books be important. Correct. Correctington. So on your turn, you're going to start by playing one of those cards, do the action. It'll go round and round and round in clockwise order until everyone has done five actions. Mm -hmm. Then at the end of every round, you'll get to reset. You'll also get to score victory points mm. if you've had the ability to earn them, which you will if you play the game properly, <laughs> which I may not have too well. And that'll go around for five rounds. Whoever has the most victory points is the clear winner and the smartest at the table. But, oh, my, mm -hmm. are there multiple paths to victory points? The easiest way to describe this is as a very brown points salad. <laughs> and the reason I'm saying it's very brown is because, oh, my God, everything's really brown in this. It, it is. I know it is designed yeah. to, to look ye olde. But Europe is brown, the technology track is brown, all of the cards are brown with the exception of little splashes of colour if your mm. card has to happen, uh, have a picture of a book on it. Oh. Now, Mark, you are art fan number one when it comes to board <laughs> yes. gaming. What are your thoughts on brown? Look, um, you've got to admire the drabness of brown. No one quite drabs it up like brown does. This game... It 
does have a certain aesthetic, as you said. When you look at the old-timey-wimey map, it has the old-timey-wimey map colours. Brown. timey-wimey Europe map. Brown. Um, the technology tree has little speckles of other colours apart from brown, but it's got a base of brown. It looks like it's... To ground you, because the like ground a, is brown. It's browned patchwork, basically, is the back. So it's, it's white, it's off-white. Yeah. With brown hues. Look, it's not... It's certainly not the colour palette of, you know, Euro games from 10 years ago, but it's not a, it's not a massive improvement. And I guess it, it does fit the theme to some aspect because if you went with neon colours trying to fit into a Renaissance knowledge-gaining game, I think it's going to look out of place. Okay. So Brown has its place, Gar. Brown certainly does have a place. In but Brown oh, Town. Oh, my God. You set this up on the table, put a coloured tablecloth or something just <laughs> to give it a spurt yes. of colour. So, look, this is very much a Euro. You're moving your places around. You're doing your actions. It is, without doubt, 95% solitaire. You are all completely infatuated with what you are particularly doing. There are only a really couple of elements where people can disrupt your play mm-hmm. and it is if someone takes the card yes. that you wanted to buy yes. or if someone travels to that part of Europe and takes a little token, yeah. which is actually grey, not brown, I think, <laughs> yeah. and it gets a little bonus for being the first one to take that particular route to, I don't know, v- Venice. Yeah, the first scholar to visit each particular of the, not all the cities, but some of the, the very major ones. Yeah. So how do you score points? Well, you'll score points by basically doing everything. You'll score points by going further up the work or the income track. You'll score points by getting a student or multiple students to the end of various technology tracks. Mm-hmm. You'll score points by travelling around and unlocking certain features. Primarily, though, the way that most people are saying they score points is by creating a really established library. Yes. And the library is your individual player board, which starts off very sparse and brown, but will end up hopefully full of books because books are what are going to give you victory points. And this is another little mechanic which is almost... It's not Tetris building, but you've kind of got to visit locations which unlock spaces on your library so that you can then use your book action to place books in horizontal and vertical lines to fill up the whole row of each of those to score points. It did make me think of Tetris, but then it's also like Tetris crossed with a crossword, where, as you said, intersection of horizontal and vertical lines. So you're looking at, well, if I place this here, I've got that that horizontal line, that vertical line. So I was going the wrong way. Um, But I know this is not a visual media. Um... What other spots have I got to fill out on that horizontal line? How long is that going to take? What other spots have I got on that vertical line? How long is that going to take? How far away is Paris? Because if I want to fill in this line, I've got to do Paris because that unlocks a certain thing. Maybe I'm not going to go there for a while, so maybe I should look at a different line. It's a real, I wouldn't say mini game, but it's definitely a puzzle yes. that you need to, and probably, cert- well, certainly me, I don't know about you, didn't realise straight away because I sort of went off into one particular part of Europe thinking, hey, that looks cool over there, there's cool bonuses, and then realising for the way I'd started doing my bookcase puzzle, I'd totally gone in the wrong direction. Yeah. Um, so it's something you certainly need to look at, how that bookcase puzzle is going to come together, who's going where, who's going to get what bonuses, therefore what books, and then obviously you've got those cards which give you where you've got to have, like, one of the three colours of books or three blue books or I can't remember exactly, but certain combinations of colours of books, you, certain, you need to unlock certain things. Is that Correct. right? That is, that is right. And for those of you who haven't played it, sorry about the last couple of moments there. <laughs> yes. It probably didn't make sense. But the point I think Mark may be trying to make is that you'll never do everything. Yeah. You'll never get to go anywhere. And you're right, Mark, that you have to visit certain locations in Western Europe to be able to unlock certain spots on your bookcase. You can also only unlock certain spots on your bookcase if you have been able to play a certain number of that particular colour of book, whether it be blue or green or yellow. You may have had to have unlocked it by some other means or used a card, but it's... 
it's variable every single time because while your player boards always are identical at the start, with the exception of a little bonus each player gets, each of the locations which are the major scholarly destinations that you're yep. going to, they are going to be randomly determined at the start of every game and the bonuses that you'll get if you get your students to the end of a particular technology track will be different every single time. So that's where the replayability and the variability comes into this game. It's all about the initial setup, which will be slightly different yeah, every single time you play. And that's definitely a clever a clever way of doing that with those, which a lot of, a lot of games do. It's like... Clank, I guess, is one that comes to mind where those starting bonuses, you, you lay them out and then flip them over and they'll all be different and it just creates that map that's going to be very different every time so you can't think, oh, I know the strategy for Correct. this game, I can work out this puzzle. Yeah, well, I, you I, can't. I played Quacks of Quedlingburg last night, which is a super simple game, yep. but the variability a lot of the time comes in the different ingredients that yes. you've got and the different sides, of the, the actual tiles, so that a mushroom this time might mean that I get blah, 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 but a mushroom next time will mean it goes yeah. somewhere else. And that's really, really cool. And it's a nice way to create replayability in an otherwise very point salad game where you've got to do a little bit of everything but you want to specialise in as much as you can because that's where your path to getting more points yes. is going to be. Anything else? Is that about it? That's we, about we it. to talk about yeah. how we found it, what we thought about it? Correct. So do you want to go first or okay. do you want me to go? I think I should go first. So I this was on my list prior to BorderCon of games I wanted to play at BorderCon. I'd heard a lot of good things about this game. On the... Friday and the Saturday, a couple of times when we were in a situation of, what will we play next? I sort of went, hey, what about Newton? And I got uh, quite a few. And so it sort of was going to the bottom of the list and to the bottom of the list and to the bottom of the list. And I was thinking, oh, this is not going to be fun. <laughs> and I think probably it was a conversation with Renee where I where we were sort of thinking, what are we going to play tomorrow? And I said, look, I was super keen to play Newton, but I'm a little bit worried because I've had not great responses from people about what it's like. And he said, no, it's fantastic. You'll love it. Yeah, what a great pick. And then I was thinking, oh, no, Monday morning's going to be a write-off. <laughs> um, and I was so pleasantly surprised. Now, I put this in with... The fact that I'm sure I've been saying for the last, oh, I don't know, however many episodes, how my love affair with your traditional Euro game is over. And really I'm looking for story and narrative and growth and different things in games and that's where I'm spending my time. You know, classic example being Seventh Continent or Detective or all these games that really are unlocking and telling a story and what story was going to be told about Renaissance knowledge gathering. I was pretty sure it was going to be a very brown story. That was before I saw the game board. But I was pleasantly surprised, Garth. Well, that's good to hear. I Because I actually had quite a lot of fun with this game. And I was trying to think the other day when we decided we would talk about this game on the show, I was trying to think... I know I liked it, but I can't remember why. <laughs> um, and I know, and thinking about it a bit more, some of it came back to me. This is a problem with old age. Um, I do remember that I liked that thematically everything fitted together in terms of, of course you have to travel around Europe to all the major universities to learn new things because that's where knowledge is. Of course you need to get money because you're going to have to do experiments and you need to get patronage from people to get the money. Of course you have to train students because you can't do it all by yourself. Just because you're a genius, you have to do lots and lots of different things to further your knowledge. You have to get that knowledge in a library because otherwise how do you refer back to it? You can't keep it all in your noggin. There's no Google. That's right. And so I found that all the pieces fitted together really lovely and thematically where it made sense. Now, sure, it wasn't telling this brilliant narrative story, but it made sense. Whereas a lot of Euro games, you're carpe diem, you know, as, a, as an example, you're building your estate, but where I put my fish pond, it doesn't really matter. You know, is there a, a ley line in the earth that demands that fish are going to swim north-south and I'm going to have to build it there? 
Not really, I don't think. So it, it, I was very, very pleased that thematically it made sense. And so the, it didn't feel like a pasted-on theme. It felt like the theme had be, uh, been applied lovingly and consistently. Mm-hmm. Look, the art isn't fantastic, but it's quite pleasing to the eye. What? In a, in a, in a renaissance way. And, you know, I like... I like deck building. As we said, you know, it it is much more hand management. But that ability to gain more powerful cards, to bury cards under your shelf, which give you sort of like an extra... A little extra boost boost every round. Which everyone will do. So at the end of every round, you have to choose one of the five cards that you've played and essentially bury that. So it then becomes a permanent bonus for future rounds. I found that fascinating. And I found often that I buried something and then I went... Oh, I wish I had that card in my hand. I know it gives me a bonus, but I get the bonus, but I haven't got the card in my hand to use the bonus. So then I've got to go buy another card to use the bonus with that one. And again, it was like that was a little mini puzzle as well. So I was very pleasantly surprised. And I think in our immediate post-BorderCon episode, I talked about this being definitely one of my surprises of BorderCon, particularly after that reaction I got from a few of our friends when I mentioned the name. Yeah. No, that's so, fair enough. So, so pleasantly surprised. I'd definitely play it again. Um, it's not something I probably would come back to over and over. But, yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. And, and look, thank you so much, Renee, for being so enthusiastic about it that we did actually try it. Correct. And it must be said that Charles wiped the floor oh my goodness, with yes. us. Well, my, my goal going into this game was to come third. <laughs> well, you did that. And uh, I came, no, I came second. Yeah, but no one can remember that. So, look, for me, I don't at all have the same attraction mm. to the theme as you do. Mm-hmm. I think that the theme, honestly, it could be I'm backpacking around Europe. <laughs> I'm going around Europe, so I'm travelling around. I need money from mum and dad, yep. so I'm going up the mum and dad track, and then I'm catching other people, you know, other people um, I'm, I'm running into and they're going up the technology track because they're doing a slightly different trip around Collect, Europe. Collecting diseases. Yeah, 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 whatever it is, I'm going up the chlamydia track. Who knows? <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. I, I certainly didn't feel smarter at the end of this game <laughs> than at the start. Although maybe that was more about how Charles wiped the floor with us. Quite possibly, and I was certainly the most wiped out of everyone <laughs> at the table. I think it looks boring. Yeah. It is certainly interesting, mm. and there's certainly no shortage of paths to victory, except the path that I chose to, <laughs> to tread. And look, I compare this a little bit to Coimbra, which we certainly haven't talked about, and we haven't talked about it because collectively the dice people said, uh, "This is so much better than Coimbra." In my see, opinion. I I compare them quite similarly yeah. because. In Coimbra and in Newton, you can do a whole bunch of different stuff. Yeah. You can move around, you can do some things, and all of this stuff will get you points. But it was okay. In Coimbra, there was no reason to do any of that. You just do it because you need something to do. Yeah, see, I, th- I think I, I don't see the theme coming yeah. through there as, as strongly as you do. I will play it again if, you know, I'm forced to. <laughs> a great, a resounding success. But... It must be said, though, that it does actually put a lot of game into a relatively compact time. The Mm. time frame of six rounds, the time frame of five uh, actions per turn, which goes really, really quickly. You, in the nature of this sort of solitaire puzzle, will know exactly what you want to do. And I think all of us, particularly in the last round, essentially spent five minutes going... I'm going to play that one, then that one, then that one, then that one. So we all knew the the order that our track was going to go, and there was nothing either or any, any of us could do to disrupt that plan. So the last round just went bang, 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 bang. That's the best lot of points I think I can get. Yeah. There we go. And that's okay, but it's also not interesting because personally I like more interaction in a game and, and a solitaire puzzle is interesting to me, mm. but I'd rather interact with the players around the table as yep. much as the yep. game Fair and point. I don't think that happens. So anyway, look, that was Newton. It was the way that our heavy games of BorderCon ended, and it's not heavy, it's just the, the Euro-y game that uh, wrapped it up and tied a little bow at the end. Mark will happily play it, so if you're in the same room at the same time as him and you have a copy under your arm, put it on the table there and Mark go. will play it with you. And that is Newton. I'm Matthew Lee from The Campaigner, and I listen to the world's best podcast, 
And I also listened to the Dice Man Cometh. Well, there you go. That was that was the pits. <laughs> Shouting in caps. <laughs> they are a Tassie actor what? with the Dice Man Cometh on Edge Radio, ninety nine point three FM. An aptly named band. <laughs> dear oh dear. All right, so it is time to maybe pause if you're listening on the podcast. Go make yourself a cup of tea. <laughs> Or a hot chocolate. Hang on, this could be this could be the highlight of the podcast, Garth. That's what I'm saying. Get yourselves ready. Pause it. Go do whatever you need to do. Mm. Get something else. Sit down. Put your feet up. Relax. Because we are introducing tonight's first instalment of Old Man Yells at Things, <laughs> presented by Mark Ricards. Well, I was thinking maybe I could call it, you know... Q&A with Mark, or Mark asks the hard questions. Yeah? Maybe. Oh, you need a soundtrack for that. I do. Mark asks the hard questions. Yeah, and then there's, you know, some... Yeah, a little bit Something more like gravitas that. than that. We'll, we'll, we'll edit this bit out and we'll put some, put in some real music. Yeah. Leon will do Leon that, will that, do that. Yeah, All right, yeah. Nope, can't be asked. Okay. All right, so Mark... So Leon... In, in, to, <laughs> so Garth. in tonight's first episode of Old Man Yells at Things, yep. where do you want to start? Well, where I want to start is, let me take you back to yesterday. Oh, okay. I can, I, I can, I can still remember it like it was only yesterday. Uh, and I was thinking about, you've got your half of the show planned, mm. and what am I going to do in my half of the show? You only thinking about that yesterday? Because there's no Leon. Well, I started thinking about it earlier in the week and I, by Wednesday I hadn't had any ideas, which is why I had to think hard about it last night. And the reason I think I had to think hard about it is because I've been playing a lot of the same games. You know, lately I've been talking about playing Detective and Chronicles of Crime and uh, Sarah and I have really been into The Seventh Continent now, We're really getting deep into that. And... The other thing is, you know, listeners may remember I injured myself and I've been hurt and, you know, it's been really, really cold here in Tassie and cold weather and injuries don't go well together. So I've been sheltered inside and watching a lot of Netflix and now Amazon Prime because I got my free 30-day membership of that. So I've got some new programs to watch. (laughs) And, of course, watching all the playthroughs of Etherfields and I'll talk about that in a little bit later on. But it made me think, you know, developing haunt content every week is hard. Well, we've, you exp- explicitly have been contributing to around 269 hours of content. <laughs> That's right. And you can only repeat yourself so many times. And I thought, what am I going to do? And then I thought, well, I wonder if other people have this problem. And I know some of them do because clearly there are podcasts that have started, quite often lasted six to 12 months and then faded off into obscurity and never to be heard from again. That's not so much of a problem. I mean, a lot of people, well, I'd say almost everyone doesn't do a show a week. That's Mm. probably the, the hardest part for us. And look, we've talked about should we go over a longer period? It doesn't suit the radio show and we really love doing the live show that we do here in the radio studio where the pressure to talk into a microphone and look at each other, we don't have the ability to just pause and take a breath and go and think about what we might say and come back. Yeah, reset and do it all over again. It's it's live. It's going out in the air now. People driving their taxis and sitting in their lounge rooms in Hobart will be going, why is this old man rambling on and on like this? But it's because I can. But then what I also heard about recently was someone else clearly had a problem creating content because there has been a, a, a well-known reviewer, not going to talk about any names, but who was exposed, caught, whatever you want to use, for plagiarising content from other reviewers. Now, this was written content. Mm. And I guess it's difficult to plagiarise audio, live talking content. Sure, you can read things, but it's not quite the same. So this person had effectively copied other written reviews for the for material they wanted. Correct. Now, I did find this on the board game thread on Reddit, which 
is such a curious place. It's There's very, very, very particular and peculiar people who habit, habitate, make that their habitat, the Reddit board game thread. It's, it's so different to Board Game Geek for a start. And, of course, these people were jumping up and down and saying, that's it, that person should be banished from the board game world forever, which, I, I mean, I completely disagree with. I, I don't think... There are very few things in life that you can't come back from without the proper apology. And it obviously it has to come from the heart, it has to be meaningful and it has to address the issue and you, you need to correct your ways. Hmm. But I think if you do that, you can come back and I'm sure this person certainly will. I was really incensed almost to see all these people saying, that's it, write that person off, they're, they're done, they can never come back. Yeah, and, and look, it's easy to say that, though, when you aren't actually in a position yeah. that we are, which is the pressure of creating content exactly. every single week. And, and you, you certainly touched on a few key points. And again, there's no names involved, but someone who was on our show who chose not to continue to be on our show who may or may not be a brother-of-law <laughs> yes, of mine yes. who, whose name sounds like Rent but has a T in front of it. Yep. He chose to stop doing this show yeah. because of that, that pressure and that is absolutely 100% fine. We play games with this particular person in his particular man cave every other week yeah. because of the pressure of, in us, having to play the new thing, yeah. the whatever's arrived, the whatever we've been sent for review, which is not just a single game, it is multiple games mm. and is always multiple games and it's not complaining that we're doing it's just merely highlighting that it's not all fun and games and actually requires a fair bit of work to firstly play these things, but also to play them while assessing them at the same time instead of just enjoying the process yeah. that you're going through. Yeah. And you're right, Mark, there aren't a huge number of shows which do weekly content, so I'm really, really proud that the two or three of us sit here every single Thursday mm -hmm. and we make it happen. And we do prepare and we do create content and we play a bucket load of games, which are fun yeah. most of the time. But sometimes they're not. Yeah. And look, I know I took on quite early some feedback that I think Alan Chang from the recently demised Rule and Make gave us, which was, you know, if you're going to be taken seriously, you, yes, you might joke about doing things half-arsedly, but you actually can't afford to be half-assed about it because you need to know what you're talking about mm. and, you know, because people will listen and people will act on what you say. And I guess I, we do try very much, even though we joke about being half-assed with what we do, we do try to really put a lot of effort into this. Yeah, it, it's true. And... From our point of view, we have been really lucky to have a lot of open uh, relationships with board game designers mm. and publishers who have been kind enough to send us their, their product. And we have had plenty of chats with them where we say, this is really great. And we've had plenty of chats where we say, this is really not yeah. our cup of tea. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that. Now, we've also had a lot of internal conversations where we go, why do we talk about a game where we all like? Because that's not interesting. And that is, again, part of this conversation of just creating content yes. every week. We have to go through that process every single time. Now, I remember, and I think it was you know, way back in the day when, mm. um, when we'd got a game from David Harding and it was Circus Flacardi. Oh, yes, Grail Games, yes. And, and that's an old Reiner Knizia game. game yep. And we played it and we went, yeah. And no one was impressed with it. And we said to David, you know, we're gonna we're gonna just have to have to say it's not really that fun. Nice art though. And to him, his credit was the response in that it was, I don't really care as long as you played it correctly. Yes. If you played it correctly, your response to that is completely justified, whether you like it or whether you didn't. As long as you played the game the way it was intended to be played by the designer, you've got the full experience. And if you don't like it, hey. That's really disappointing, yeah. but there are plenty of other games out there. But please do not go on the air or please don't talk about a game if you haven't given it the courtesy yes. of playing it correctly. Yeah, absolutely. And, look, I remember that game then was on Kickstarter, but 
smashed it. And clearly, because it was a reprint of an old game that a lot of old... When I say older gamers, not necessarily age, but people who'd been playing Euro games, you know, in the early 2000s and even earlier, had very fond memories of the game. It had been almost impossible to get. They were really keen to get a new version. The art was really nice. The Grail Games did a great repaint job on that. Yeah. So, you know, there are there are different games for different people. And I don't know whether you were trying to lead me in because I certainly was going to go there. The next thing that I have found on the internets is an amazing conversation. I was just absolutely blown away when I read this where a game reviewer reviewed a game. Let's, you know, we don't want to name names, but let's say this guy might do a lot of videos and his name might rhyme with Tomato and, you know, he does a lot of Kickstarter previews and things like that and incredibly well thought of in the in the review world one of the biggest we one of the top 3 names in our hobby of of reviewing reviewers, absolutely. absolutely who reviewed a game by another a big name reviewer mm-hmm. no um, big name designer uh, sorry sorry a big name designer designed one of our favorite all-time games race for the galaxy mm-hmm. i'm not going to say who the designer is but you can work it all out for yourself <laughs> And the in the pu- very very public forum of a board game geek forum, basically took Tomato to task about your review was incorrect, mm. and you've spoken about these things incorrectly, not in terms of rules being incorrect, but how you personally have talked about this particular aspect of the game. And I, it was very much around how how attacky it is, yeah. how personal it gets. Now, Tomado, he only plays two player games. Him and his wife play games together, and that is it. And I, I mean, I must admit, I've always been amazed that this person can have such a huge, huge following. But again, it creates a hell of a lot of content. Well, you're right, and does a brilliant job of it. Is very interesting to listen to. Is really able to use other words beside interesting, so many more, and makes his reviews very interesting. (laughs) But the fact that, you know, any game he plays, he's only ever looking at the two-player angle, and he's always been very, very clear about that, that if a game doesn't play well for two players, I may as well not be talking about it because this is all I'm ever going to look at. And perhaps this was an example of a game that is not great at two players, I think he had such respect for the designer because he's loved the designer's other games that he wanted to do, to do it. I think the designer wanted him to do it. But then for this designer to come out and basically say, you're wrong, your opinion, not how you played the game, but your opinion of this game is wrong. And in fact, so, so, so wrong that I'm going to take you to task, break out your conversation in little bits and pieces as they do in board game geek threads and take you to task about your opinion dissect it correct i i was floored now it must also be said that the game in question in the review that tomato did (laughs) yes he said it's arguably my favorite game for 2019 i know know. so it's an overall really positive review which then had negative aspects to it because Tomato found certain attack aspects of the game not enjoyable. Yeah. It's not that they were bad. It was just purely, it's not my cup of tea when I play with my wife. Yeah, it's not the style of game they enjoy the most. But apart from that, I absolutely love this and this and this and this and this. As you said, it's favourite game of the year so far. Yeah, so it was, it was remarkable. And, wow. and I went through and I spent a bit of time when I probably should have been working. <laughs> so as long as my employers aren't listening, it's fine. But it, it's very much an interesting case of what right does a designer have to say to a reviewer, I'm sorry, but your opinion is wrong, mm. which is essentially what it boils down to. However, the designer is also coming at it from an opinion of, 
I believe you have taken the intention of these actions or this part of the game incorrectly. And that is where there's this little bit of, I don't know, disconnect or miscommunication or whatever, but it it basically boiled down and, and reading the threads, it essentially gets to the point where this reviewer goes, we're at an impasse. There's nothing else I've got to say, but if this is the way you feel, please don't send any more games my way. Yeah. And that's... That's in a public forum yeah. that this is happening. It's not behind I, any kind of curtain. I was shocked. I was shocked. And I guess the one thing we can add to this conversation before we take a brief break and come back, and I'll do a bit more shouting at the microphone, is we have a couple of friends of ours from BorderCon who live in other parts of Australia. We only see them at BorderCon and occasionally maybe we go to something like PAX that are so lucky. They have been to the gathering of friends which is an invite-only con that Alan Moon, the designer of Ticket to Ride, that game you've never played, started and it's been going now for... 30 years. This year was the 30th anniversary. Yeah, and it is literally invite-only. You have to be invited to go there and it's certainly grown. every big-name designer in our hobby either is there or probably wishes they were there. Yeah. Yeah. It is exclusive. It is the size of a couple of hundred people going to... A resort in Niagara Falls. For 12 days. Yeah. Could you imagine? Yep, and they, like, like our friends played the prototype of Pandemic Legacy Season 2. Mm-hmm. I think even before Pande- Pandemic Legacy Season 1 had come out, they didn't even know what it was going to be called. It was also secret. They couldn't even tell us about it. But anyway, the reason I bring that up is because one of our friends... We sort of said really interestingly, like, is there any of these big-name designers that is not fun to be around, that is a bit of a jerk? You know, like, not not wanting them to name names, but they both said there was one that stood out so far above the rest that this, you know, this person did not have a friendly face, a friendly manner ever compared to everyone else they interacted with. Mm. And it wasn't until today that I made the connection that, oh, that person is the designer we're talking about in this conversation with Tomato. Yeah, it's really interesting. Anyway, (laughs) that's right. Look, (laughs) let's take a short break because I want to come back and rant just a little bit more for a couple more minutes right at the end, okay? You're with the Diceman Cometh Edge Radio 99.3 FM. Hello everyone, your friendly neighbourhood Leon here. Just a quick break in the action to remind you all on how the fun ways you can support the show. You can jump on over to Patreon where you can donate, which has helped us over the last five years, get to great conventions all around Australia and hopefully internationally. You can give as much or as little as you like. Personally, I would ask, maybe just give us a dollar. I give to about 12 different podcasts a dollar a month. I don't even notice that it's gone, but trust me, they know that it's in there, and if everyone listening to my voice right now gave us that dollar, we would be much, much appreciative. Also, you could jump onto Redbubble and type in Dice Men Cometh and get any kind of merch there that you're after. You can get t-shirts, you can get hoodies, you can get mugs, you can get stickers, any type of size, colours, anything you want. We've been doing them for years, and they are absolute quality. Also, you could go over to iTunes and chuck us a cheeky five-star review. It doesn't seem like much, but it is the reason how we get our podcast out there to international listeners especially, because those charts put us ahead of things like Google searches and things like that, and it is also very, very helpful. And just follow us all on the social medias. You've got your Facebooks, you've got your Instagrams, you've got your Twitters, you've got all that kind of stuff. Every single bit of it, we put different content on it, so it's not just the same stuff recycled over and over again. And if you want to get in touch with us for any reason whatsoever, you can get in touch with us on those socials or at DiceMenCometh at gmail.com. We've had many, many sponsors over the years, so if you're interested in sponsorship opportunities for the show or anything to that nature, that's where you can get a hold of us. Now, Back to the action. Well, that was very expertly faded out by Mark, but this was KOM, or as they say in the industry, Kilo Oscar Mike, <laughs> with chips. They were a local Tassie act. You're with the Diceman Cometh on Edge Radio, 99.3 FM. Hey, Garth. Yes. I've got a couple more rants. Rant Can I part them in? two, the re-ranting. Well, firstly, I've been talking about this new game... Aether Fields, Aether Fields, 
I don't know. Should be a pronunciation guide. Coming to Kickstarter, and obviously it just launched yesterday. Yeah. On Kickstarter now, it's been going for a day and a half. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's going to fund, though. That's the problem. I'm a bit concerned. <laughs> the numbers are spinning right before my eyes. People are just hit clicking the button. So currently it's raised over three and a half million Australian dollars in a day and a half. Coming up to... It's going again. Um, it's coming up to 23,000 backers in a day and a half. I'm on board, obviously. Yes. But... What I wanted to address is because I've been following this game so closely, I've been reading lots of the comments. Yeah. And what made me go into old man mode... Now, bearing in mind there are over 4,000 comments yep. on this particular yep. Kickstarter Well, project. and that doesn't count the comments that are attached to the updates. That's just the comment on the main page. So what made me go into old man mode was reading through these comments and screaming inside my head... Why don't you just read the FAQ? <laughs> and I hope I, I hope I didn't blow the microphone. No, oh. but you've unplugged yourself. I've unplugged your my headphones because I've just run madly around the studio. Because I, I swear, every third or fourth question is, uh, if I back for a dollar, can I change my mind later in the campaign or in the pledge manager? Um... Why aren't there more stretch goals? There need to be more stretch goals. We've, we've spent all the money on day one. Or, oh, we've made three million Australian... Because they're not talking about Australian. We've made three million Australian day one. Is this going to fund $30 million? <laughs> How do they get so many backers on day one? Now, this we're talking about Awakened Realms yep. of Lords of Hellas, this war of mine, Nemesis... Um, Tainted Grail. Tainted Grail. They've got a massive, massive, massive following, a massive, massive, massive mailing list. They have, oh, they had a free thing, a three bonus fifth character and mini that you got if you backed in the first 24 hours. So, and they've been doing a huge amount of mark, paid marketing as well. So, of course, every man, woman and their dogs is going to back, if they can and if they know it exists, He's going to back before the first 24 hours. Yep. And I feel like this is going to be one of those campaigns that goes blip at the start and then blip at the end. And the only reason for there to be a lot of activity in between is when they announce, say, an, an, a purchasable add-on that is going to be an extra $80 mm -hmm. and every single one of those 23000 all of a sudden goes and increases their pledge by $80. Except and you. It, well, you can add it in the pledge manager, Garth. That's yeah. the beauty of Kickstarter. Yeah, you haven't backed for the minis. Look, so I just don't understand. These people are going to be throwing two hundred plus dollars at this thing. Why wouldn't you at least read the campaign and read the FAQ before you post these stupid questions? Now, Mark, have you taken your heart medicine? That's my rant. All right. On that happy note. <laughs> This has been episode 269 of the Dice Men Cometh, Australia's number one and longest running board game podcast. You can see why. We cut to the bone of the uh, industry here. So I've been Garth, he's been Mark, and a very cranky one at that. Yes. Mark and Leon will be back next week because I'll be over in New South Wales taking a road trip. So uh, have fun. Take some, take some happy pills, We're going to talk all about Leon's trip to LFG. We're going to have all the interviews it's just going to be Leon Talkfest. Excellent. I can't wait. So goodbye. This has been an edit of The Dice Men Cometh from Edge Radio 99.3 FM, Hobart's independent youth station. Find us on Facebook and edgeradio.org.au.